morning is from the book of James. We're working our way through the letter of James together. Today we find ourselves looking at verse 9 to verse 12, but I think it would be helpful to remind ourselves of the context, and we'll read from chapter 1, verse 1. It's page 1213. 1213 in your pure Bibles. And we'll read from James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, The rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen. Amen. Well, we are just a few weeks into our journey through James, and already I'm sure we will have noticed that in James there are an awful lot of imperatives, an awful lot of instructions, an awful lot of commands. Do this and don't do that. Live like this, don't live like that. And I hope that we have also seen that these imperatives, these instructions or commands, they are really a call to live in the freedom that Christ has secured for His people. This isn't designed to be limitation. It's designed to be liberation. James doesn't want his brothers and sisters in Christ to be fettered. He wants them to be free. And freedom is found in following the words and the will and the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants 
his brothers and sisters in Christ to be free from the so-called wisdom of the world, to be free from, in the words of Hebrews 12, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, to be free to live lives which bring glory to the God of grace. We are free in Christ to live life to the full. We are free in Christ to live our lives experiencing deep peace and real joy and true fulfillment. And that is the life that James wants the readers of his letter to grasp and to live. And that is why he gives us these instructions, these imperatives, these commands. We mustn't be double-minded. The double-minded man is unstable in all he does. We saw Megan uh, baptized here last Sunday evening, and by her baptism she proclaimed that message, didn't she? That we must be all in with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't have one foot in the water of the world, as it were, and one foot in the waters of baptism. We must be all in. We cannot be double-minded or double-souled, for the, the, the literal translation of what James says. We must be all in with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't honor Jesus as Lord with one hand and a false God as Lord with the other hand. The illustration that Jesus used as he was talking about this was money. We cannot worship the Lord and worship money. We cannot worship the Lord and worship the false God of mammon. No one, says Jesus, can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And it is to this topic, to money and to, to the things that surround money, that James now turns his attention. So we're looking today primarily at verses 9 and 10. The brother, verse 9, in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. A brother or sister in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. What might that mean? What might that mean? I think it's important to say, firstly, that what James does here is something that Jesus did often to take our perspective, to take the way that we think about things and to turn it totally on its head. So Jesus said, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus, Jesus often takes the way that we see the world and turns it upside down. 
the brother in humble circumstances, the brother low down ought to take pride in his high position. It's actually the teaching of of Paul. James and Paul are often contrasted as if they're, they're opposites, but it's the teaching of Paul that I think sheds light on what James says in these verses. So Paul is in prison as he writes uh, to the Philippian church, and he says as he is chained to his guard or or, uh, in his cell, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's what Paul means when he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It doesn't mean I can, it's not a kind of Disney message. Just, you know, picture your dream and know that you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. What Paul is saying is that no matter what I go through in life, no matter the highs and the lows, no matter what I have, no matter what is happening to me, no matter what surrounds me, I can know the peace of Jesus in all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in poverty as well as in plenty. James says to his fellow believers who are poor in terms of uh, material wealth and also social standing, to remember the spiritual riches that are theirs in Christ Jesus. To believers who are not invited to great social gatherings in a society, a culture where that is very, very important. To those who don't get a seat at the top table, James says, take pride in your high position. You might say, well, what high position? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 2,000 years ago, if a host was to invite you to his house to share in a meal together, you would know exactly what that host made of you, exactly how much you mattered to him. Those of us who uh, are married, or those of us who have had children who have been married will know of the the anguish in working out the seating plan. Who will be at the top table? Who will be at the table closest to the top table? Who will sit next to who? Very complicated, uh, very difficult, very challenging. Well, 2,000 years ago, you would know from where you were seated 
exactly what the host made of you. If you were seated at the host's table, then you mattered. You were important. If you were seated near to the host at the host's table, then you mattered even more. If you were seated at the right hand side of the host, then you mattered to him more than anyone else in the room. The right hand was the place of most honor. And Scripture tells us that Jesus, having risen and ascended to heaven, took his place at the right hand of the Father, the place of most honor. So where are we? Our Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father, at the place of most honor. Where are we? You might say, well, we are seated in a rather uncomfortable wooden pew in Airdrie, and that would be true. But spiritually speaking, we are in Christ, aren't we? We are to be found in Christ Jesus. And so just as he has been raised to life eternal, we in him have been raised to life eternal. Just as the Father will love the Son for all eternity, in Him we receive the Father's love for all eternity. I like the ESV, the English Standard Version's translation of James chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, because to boast in our exaltation is to boast in the Lord, isn't it? It is to glory in the grace of God our Father. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I know your bank balance may be low. I know you can't treat yourself the way that you would like to treat yourself or your family. I know you don't get invited to many fancy social occasions. But remember how he has lifted you. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember whose you are in Christ. Remember where you are in Christ. 
Remember how he has lifted you. And as you remember, rejoice. From sinking sand he lifted me with tender hand. He lifted me from shades of night to plains of light. Oh, praise his name. He lifted me. Now on a higher plane I dwell, and with my soul I know it is well. Yet how or why I cannot tell, he should have lifted me. Remember how he has lifted you, and rejoice in your high position as one who is to be found in Christ. Now all of this assumes that we are aware and conscious of the spiritual reality that, that, that surrounds us, as well as the physical reality. It assumes that we will value the eternal over the temporal. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If it's all about the here and now, then this will not be enough for you. If it's all about the here and now, then the command that we have read earlier in James to greet trials of all sorts with pure joy will not make any sense to you. If it's all about the here and now, the call of Christ to the rich young ruler to sell all that he had, to give it to the poor, and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that will not make any sense to you. But if you recognize Jesus as the peril beyond price, as the treasure that you would sell everything to get a hold of, then this will make perfect sense to you. If you recognize Jesus as that treasure, then rejoice in your high position in Him. So, do we need to be poor to be godly? Do we need to be materially poor to be spiritually rich? If you look at the history of the church, there have been a significant number of Christians who have inter interpreted Scripture that way, who, who have thought, in order to be spiritually rich, I need to be materially poor. Didn't Jesus say it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? Yes, he did. And money can be dangerous. It's easier to believe the lie that we are okay by ourselves, that we are okay without God in our lives if we have a lot of money in the bank, a nice big house, and lots of good stuff to enjoy. But there are wealthy people who know their need of God and who use the wealth that God has given to them for good. They use that wealth wisely. Think of Joseph of uh, Arimathea, who, who laid Jesus in his own tomb, or 
Lydia, the, the seller of uh, purple cloth. There are other people uh, alluded to in Acts who, who gave that which was theirs to, to serve the church, who opened up their large homes so that the church of Christ could meet together in the days before they had buildings like this. There are many other examples that we could point to both in Scripture and throughout the history of the church of wealthy people who were godly people. You can be wealthy and godly, but you have to be aware of the danger that money brings. It is hard to be humble with a full bank balance and a nice house. And the more stuff that you have, the more complicated life becomes. After a while, you begin to question, do I have a lot of stuff? Or does a lot of stuff have me? Maybe you find yourself around people who are very driven, and there is an expectation that you will pursue money as passionately as they will pursue money. And it's hard to swim against the tide. It is not easy being wealthy and being godly. Being poor is not easy, but being wealthy is not easy. It's just a different set of problems to deal with. So be encouraged, as you remember, that this is only for a time. James 1 verse 11. The sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Are you encouraged? It doesn't seem very encouraging at first take, does it? You first read it. Be encouraged that you're going to die and you're going to lose all your money. But actually, it, it, it liberates you from slavery to stuff. When you know that it's only yours for a wee while, you are able to hold on to it lightly. And you can use it wisely. You can be free of the fear of losing it. Because it's only yours for a time anyway. There are unique trials in poverty and unique trials in wealth. But to both the rich and the poor, James says this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is treasure that truly matters. There is treasure that neither moth nor rust will destroy, nor thieves break in and steal. What matters is not whether we are rich or poor, but our identity as children of God and as followers of Christ Jesus. And a new Cold War with Russia, Brexit, hard Brexit, uh, soft Brexit, fair to medium Brexit, whatever type of Brexit we have, uh, snowmageddon, the beast from the east, the pest from the west, trials of many kinds, none of these things will be able to rob us of that which truly matters, which is this crown of life that the Lord will give to those who persevere under trial.
Our relationship with the Lord is based on His unchanging nature and His unfailing love. So may we be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Let's pray together.